All right, good evening, everybody. A special welcome to Daniel and Samantha, Hassan and Kala. First time, welcome. And to Samantha's friend, Shana, who's in town from Flatbush, welcome. Special thank you to Isaac for getting everything ready, as always, and his crew of hardworking young men. And a, uh, and a special thank you to Torah Anytime for sharing this year and many others with uh, those who cannot be here this evening. I want to explore something we do every day. We daven. We daven. One of those things that just part of the habit, part of the routine of life. I'd like to, uh, to go through a couple of ideas to show that heartfelt phila can be explosive, can have ramifications well above and beyond anything we could even fathom. And I'd like to share a couple of practical strategies and how to add some more fire to our tefillah. Pesach is around the corner. A week from tomorrow night, we'll be doing B'dikas Chametz. What was the, the main thing, and there are many different sources that speak about many different milas, many different attributes that Klal Yisrael had, to, uh, to finally leave Mitzrayim. But according to the, uh, the Midrash Rabbah, we have the following depiction of what the, the Makkah Patish, the last step of Klal Yisrael before they were allowed to go free. Klal Yisrael said to Hashem, Ribona Olam, Master of the Universe, what can we do? Aniyim onu ve'ein lanu lahavi karbanos. We're impoverished. We can't bring karbanos. So Hashem says back to Klal Yisrael, Devarim animavakesh. I don't need your offerings, just your words. Bring me your words. And that's referring to Divrei Torah, words of Torah. To that the Jewish people responded, Ein onu yodin. Even when it comes to learning Torah, we might not be adequate. We might not know, we might not have the background or the education. So what can we do to attain forgiveness? Says Hashem to Klal Yisrael, Amr lehem b'chu v'hispalu l'fanai. Just cry and daven before me. V'ani mikabel, and I will accept that. You cry, you express sincerity, you pour your heart out, v'ani mikabel, and I'll accept you. What's the proof to this? Look back in time. When your ancestors were enslaved in Egypt, right? it was through prayer that I redeemed them. As it says in the Pesach, that the Jewish people were suffering from the oppression of the back-breaking labor, and they cried out. So it seems pretty clear from the Medrash Rabbah that the, the final step to open those gates to allow the Jewish people to leave Mitzrayim was the Yitzaku. They cried out. Even if you can't bring offerings, even if you can't really learn Torah, you're crying and you're davening, that's what, that was the ticket that we left Mitzrayim with. Now it's interesting when you analyze that Pasuk carefully, the, uh, the Pasuk tells us in Parsha Shmos, that vayhi b'yomim harabim ha'heim, it was during a long time, 
the Yomos Melech Mitzrayim that the king of Egypt passed away. The Onchu Bnei Yisrael Min Havoda, and the Jewish people were suffering from the labor. The Yizoku, and they cried out. V'tal shavasim elokim min ha'avoda, and their cry came to Hashem from the labor. What was Hashem's response? So we have four different lishonos, four different expressions here. V'yishma elokim esnakasam, Hashem heard their moaning. V'yizkor elokim esbriso, Hashem remembered his covenant with Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Vayar Elokim es Bnei Yisrael, Hashem saw the Jewish people, Vayede Elokim, and Hashem knew. So Vayishma, Vayizkar, Vayar, Vayeda. Okay, we're not going to have time to get into each one of those four expressions. But the Ramban says something unbelievable. He says, the truth is, Kibidchila Hayam Master Panav Mehem. Hashem was hiding his face from the Jewish people. Right? It was a, a time of Hester Pan. And he was allowing the suppression to happen. And then Hashem hears, Hashem sees. What is that telling us? Hashem is always hearing, Hashem is always seeing, Hashem always knows. But rather, that's the Pusik's way of revealing to us that now Hashem is going from a, from a state of Hester Panim, of concealment, to being Megala, to revealing himself. And the Ramban says, even though the time for that slavery was officially over, the decree was done, the Jewish people were not yet worthy of being free. Right? The time is up, but you're not worthy of being free. So what was it? It was because they cried out, Hashem with His compassion, he accepted our tefillah. He embraced our prayer. We weren't worthy of being freed, but because we cried out from the depths of the neshama, Hashem accepted our tefillah. I remember speaking to somebody one time, a kid in high school, and he had a very difficult time davening, as many high school kids do, and as many of us do as well. Right? Davening is an art, and it takes many, many years. But he told me one reason why he can't really concentrate, not just because I think it's boring, he said, but I feel like a total faker. Right? Do you know what I did last night, Rabbi? Do you know what I'm up to? Do you know where I'm, where I'm holding right now in my spirituality? And I'm going to come and stand before Hashem and wrap my tefillin and chuckle back and forth. I'm not going to be a faker. Almost, as if he's saying... I'm not worthy to stand in front of Hashem. That's one of the reasons why I can't do this. I can't go through the motions of davening. I think we see from this Ramban that sometimes it's even when we're in our darkest moments and I am feeling pretty guilty about my behavior and what I said and what I'm not doing that I feel I should be doing. But it's in those moments where even if I'm not worthy of it, I'm not zocha to whatever I'm asking for, but if I daven belave shalom, if somehow I could break through that and, and really pour my heart out to Hashem, that itself can be our ticket to personal redemption. In Parshas Bo, the, uh, the Pasuk tells us that at the end of 430 years, 
Be'etzem hayom hazeh, on that very day, Yotzu kol tzavachos Hashem be'eretz Mitzrayim, the legions of Hashem went out from the land of Mitzrayim. Lel shimurim hula Hashem, it was a night that was guarded by Hashem, which means Hashem was anticipating this forever. Hashem was looking forward to our freedom. And this is a guarded night for all of the Jewish people, for all generations. And there the Ramban explains, similar to what he said back in Parsha Shmos, but he adds one, one idea. He says, it's known that Klal Yisrael, living in Mitzrayim, ro'im v'chato'im ma'od. We were bad. We were making really big mistakes. And we stopped doing bris milah. And we were into Avodah Zarah, we were influenced by the, the paganism of Egypt. And it would have been appropriate for Hashem to say, get back in your room for another 10 minutes. You have to stay in Mitzrayim longer. What happened? But what do we do? We cried out and we increased our tefillah. And again the Ramban says, even though that official decree was now over, we were not worthy of leaving. Hashem accepted our cries and our, and our groaning and our moaning because of the anguish that we felt. Hashem's compassion kicked in and that's why He let us go. We weren't worthy of going at this point. But because we cried out from the depths of the neshama, Hashem said, okay, you can leave your room. David HaMelech in Tehillim expresses a similar idea. We read this every Shabbos morning. That Hashem el tzadikim el That Hashem has this close hashkocha, this relationship with the righteous. And when it comes to those people who are doing evil, Hashem looks towards them with the intent of destruction. So they have no chance, right? They have no hope. However, But they cry out, according to the Svorno, this means those same people that Hashem was looking at to destroy, they cry out to Hashem and Hashem listens. And Hashem therefore saves them from all of their suffering. Why? Because there's a reality that Hashem is close to those people who have broken hearts. Those who have crushed spirits, Hashem will save. So Hashem's looking at me. I'm worthy of destruction. I'm a Russia. I'm a bad guy. But Tzoku Hashem Shemeya. I cry out from the depths of my neshama, Nishbereleiv, my heart's broken, and Hashem responds. So it sounds like from the Ramban, and it sounds like from David Melech, we could be way, way off the path. We could be Rishoyim, we could be doing terrible sins. We cry out in prayer, and Hashem responds through His Rachamim, through His compassion. However, there seems to be a contradiction. In the beginning of Yeshaya, Yeshaya is giving Tochacha, he's critiquing Klal Yisrael, and famously he says, 
Gam kisarbut fila, even though you increase your davening, and even though you're spreading your hands in the air in prayer, Eneni shomeya, I'm not going to listen to your, to your prayer. Yedeichim domi maleu, because your hands are filled with blood. According to some, that means they were actually in violation of murder. And according to others, it means that it, there was corruption. People were taking advantage of others. If I was wealthy, if I was influential, if I have the power and you don't, I was taking advantage of you. And they weren't looking out for the, the orphans and the widows. So there Yeshaya says, even though you're davening, and we might think, well, it's not real davening. You don't have kavana. The Malbim says, if Yeshaya uses the word tefillah, what does tefillah actually mean? Shvichas hanefesh b'machshava zakav pouring out the neshama with purity, with a clarity. So Yeshaya is saying, even though you're davening in a way that, that it's hard for us to even imagine what that level of tahara looks like, nonetheless, I cannot listen to you, because of your evil deeds, because of the hashchas, the destruction and the corruption, you lose the schus of the kavana, you lose the merit of your prayer. Right, so it sounds like a total contradiction. The Ramban told us, and David Amalek writes in Tehillim, Zoku Vashem Shemeya! Just cry out. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeshai <coughs> Hanavi says, that's not how Hashem views us. When you're doing things that are, that are corrupt and you're taking advantage of people, then that's ma'akev. That will block the acceptance of prayer. So which one is it? So I think the answer is fairly straightforward. It depends what we're doing. In the case of Mitzrayim, what were our flaws? What were our major mistakes? We weren't doing a bris milah. We were worshiping idols. Yeah, silly things like that, right? Idolatry. Hashem says, you cry out with sincerity, I'll embrace you and I'll accept you. What was going on during the times of Yeshaya? He's referring to Ben Adam Lachavero. He's talking about people taking advantage of other people. That kind of corruption, that's a brick wall. You want to cry out in prayer? Even if you're sincere, I can't listen to that prayer because your whole mahus, your whole essence is disgusting to me. If that's the way you're going to act to your fellow human being, then I will not accept the prayer. So it sounds like we have this distinction. One, one major thing, I think psychologically, that holds us back is the fact that sometimes we may not really believe that the tefillah will be effective. And we've all davened for many things throughout our lives. And sometimes we, we daven with a lot of kavana and with a lot of tears and a lot of mesiras nefesh. And we're davening for it has not come to fruition. Now, philosophically, there are many approaches to this. I don't want to get involved with all the different answers we find in the Rishonim and the Achronim. But does tefillah actually work? Does Hashem really answer prayers? When Moshe Rabbeinu had his initial conversation with Hashem, Moshe asks Hashem a very strange question. He says, I'll get down to Mitzrayim, and they're going to ask me, right, the Jewish people are going to turn to me and they're going to ask, what's Hashem's name? 
what should I respond to them? So the Ramban says that Moshe was really asking, they're going to want to have a clear expression of, of your shlita, of your control over the world. What should I choose to demonstrate? What can I show them that could be the trump card? Right? Because you see this, obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu is real, and obviously Hashem is involved with our lives. What can I show Klal Yisrael? Answers Hashem to Moshe, Ein lehem cheres. You need nothing else. You need no other proof besides the one fact that when people call out to me, I answer their prayer. Haraya hagedola. Listen to these words of the Ramban. This is the raya hagedola, the greatest proof sheyesh elokim Yisrael. That there is a God in Yisrael, who's close to us whenever we call upon Him. This is the greatest proof of Hashem's existence. This is the greatest proof that Hashem is together with us. So we read that Ramban, and we think of times in our lives, and we think of many situations where tefillos were not answered. So how can He say it's the greatest proof? So I discussed this Ramban with Roshaya Cohen. And uh, he had the following idea, and I think this is a beautiful understanding of what the Ramban really means. The problem is, the reason why prayer is so hard to believe in is because we're always thinking about the things we want, the things we're yearning for and davening for, that are not coming to fruition. This person wasn't saved. That person has not yet found the shidduch. I've been davening for so long. So clearly, it, it doesn't always work. What the Ramban is saying is there has to be a paradigm shift. If we look at our life and we look at all of the blessings that we have, we could look people in the face. We could look so many different aspects of our lives and see the kiyum, see the fulfillment of prayers that we daven for with intensity. If it was six months ago, if it was five years ago, if it was 15 years ago. There's so much that we have that are the answers to our prayers of the past. When we look at that, when we focus on that reality, we see, yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does answer prayer. That is a great raya. Once I have that foundation, once I have that, that first step, so then, when questions come, and I'm not sure because this particular tefillah doesn't seem to be answered, but then it's easier to tap into those wellsprings of Amuna and Bitachon. I don't really know how a Kaddosh Baruch works, and it could be answering this prayer is not the best for me, and it could be it'll be answered in a different way. But the Ramban is telling us, Raya Gedola, one of the greatest proofs we have, is to look into our lives individually, and to look into the life of the nation, and to see Prayers have been answered. I heard an amazing story from Rabbi Ephraim Palgan. He's the head of the middle school in North Miami Beach. He said there was a, a yeshiva bacher learning in the mirror. He went to the Kosel to daven. And as he's davening, he sees this American kid, probably about 12 years old, with a Rangers baseball cap on and a jersey. I was just informed that playoffs begin tonight. For all of the millions of hockey fans out there, 
And, uh, and the, the yeshiva bachar sees this kid write something on a piece of paper, doesn't look religious at all, and he places it, you know, carefully into a little crevice of the kosa. He walks away. So the yeshiva guy can't hold himself back. He knows he really shouldn't, but he does. Right? The kid walks away. He's wondering to himself, what could he possibly be davening for, right? What's on this kid's mind? What does he know about tefillah? So he takes out a piece of paper, he opens it up, and it reads as follows. Dear God, I'm stuck in this hotel without any internet, and I have no idea if the Rangers won last night. Can you please let me know what the score was? That was the tefillah. So the yeshiva bacher reads this, and he has a great idea. He has a friend back in America. He was a hockey fan. He quickly gets in contact with him, asks him, what happened with the Rangers game last night? And his friend says, it was actually an unbelievable game. The Rangers won two to one. There was a shootout. It was really great. Okay. So he quickly walks and he finds this boy, and he sees him walking out of the area of the Kosel, and he says, hey, hi, Shalom, how are you? Good, thank you. I see you're a Rangers fan. Yeah, the boy says. A any idea who won last night? Sure. It was two to one. There was a shootout. It was an unbelievable game. And the, and the kid's face lights up, right? Wow. He feels like his prayer was answered. <laughs> so this yeshiva guy, he feels like he just accomplished some good shtick, right? He goes back to yeshiva. He's telling some of his buddies. He tells his rebbe. And the rebbe says... You got it all wrong. You think you're firmer than he is? You think that if Hashem is going to listen to anyone's prayer, it's probably yours? Guess what? You were the shliach to answer his prayer. HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens to Tfilos. This kid had a sincere Tfilo. He wanted to know who won the game last night. Hashem chose you. You're the messenger. Hashem was answering his prayer. Prayers are answered. This is a, somewhat of a well-known story, at least for here in South Florida. There was a, a couple, Baruch Hashem, they live in Hollywood, Florida, Mrs. Rosenblatt and her husband. She was driving south in the 95, and she sees a couple lanes away, there's a, a young fellow driving a car, and on the car it has a sign, for sale, please call, and it has his phone number. So the way she tells over the story, she says, I wasn't even sure why I was interested. Both my husband and I had pretty nice cars. The car this person was driving was really no great shakes. But there was just something, some curiosity. I wanted to call and find out. So I call, and he answers the phone as he's driving. And I ask him a strange question. Again, I'm not even sure why I'm asking this question. I was in a strange mood. Why do you want to sell the car? So he says, usually people ask, how much am I selling it for? <laughs> You're asking, why do I want to sell it? And they get into a conversation. And it turns out this young man is very open with Mrs. Rosenblatt. He says, my wife and I, they were a young from couple. We've been living in, uh, in South Africa for a while. And uh, my wife has this pretty major medical issue she's grappling with, and we're told to come to America. So we've been here now for about six months, and we've seen a couple different doctors, 
and somebody recommended this particular oncologist at the University of Miami. Uh, the major problem is that our insurance doesn't have him on the plan, and it would cost a ton of money to, uh, to get that appointment, but I'm doing everything I possibly can. And so I'm trying to sell the car. We have another one. We can make a few thousand dollars. This could get us in. And again, she asked the question. Now she's more kind of in tune with it. The University of Miami, an oncologist, who, who, who are you supposed to see? And he says, there's a doctor there, Dr. Rosenblatt, that we were referred to. And she almost drives off into a different lane. Dr. Rosenblatt, the oncologist in the University of Miami? Yeah. Dr. Joseph Rosenblatt? Yeah, do you know him? He's my husband! <laughs> He's my husband! The young man says, I've been davening just to get an appointment. And she says back, well, your prayers are answered. We don't always see it, but when we do, that should be the foundation that it's a raya gedola that a Kaddish Baruch Hu answers tefillah. That can never be a blockage in our kavana. Prayer does work. What does Hashem want out of prayer? Interesting question, right? What is Hashem looking for? More than anything, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want the prayer, but He wants the relationship. There's a beautiful Pasuk in Shira Shirim. Shlomo HaMelech writes, this is Hashem speaking about Klal Yisrael. Yonosi bechagve hasela b'seisel madrega, my dove, in the cracks of the rock, hereni es marayich, I want to see your, 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 your face. Hashmieni as kolech. I want to hear your voice. Ki kolech orev. Because you're cold, because your voice is pleasant to me. Umarech nove. And your face is sweet to me. I want to hear your voice. Hashmieni as kolech. I want to hear your voice. The Medish Rabbi says... This Pasuk is actually referring to Klal Yisrael when we left Mitzrayim. Like we established before, the, the main reason why we were able to leave is based on the Yizoku B'nai Yisrael. We cried out to Hashem. We weren't worthy of leaving, but a Kaddish Baruch who accepted our heartfelt philos. Then we leave Mitzrayim, and we know seven days later, we're standing by the Yamsuf. And the Medish Rabbi says, as we're standing there, we have really no option surrounded by all sides. We can't go back. We can't go forward into the raging sea. We have wild animals in the desert. Once we saw that we were surrounded by three sides, right? the, the yam, the, the, the raging waters were in front of us. And our enemy was pursuing us. And there are wild, dangerous animals in the desert. At that point, we realized we have no other option. So we looked up to our Father in Heaven. And what did we do? We just screamed. We cried to Hashem. <coughs> like it says, Why did Hashem do this? Why did Hashem orchestrate this whole elaborate scene? 
When we have many Midrashim that, that say this idea, Hashem has a taiva, Hashem has a desire for our prayer. Hashem wants to hear from us. And the Medrash goes on to give an example. It says, if you have someone who is able to save a young lady, and they now have a relationship, and he wants to, to schmooze more with her, but she no longer has interest in speaking with him. Only once she gets into a dangerous situation again, then she cries out to him, and she wants him, and he wants to hear from her. So to a Kodesh Baruch Hu mevakesh li es kolam pamacheres. Hashem heard our cry the first time, seven days prior. Right? Really more than seven days prior, when we first started crying at the beginning of the whole story, right? more than a year prior. Now Hashem wanted to hear it again, v'lo hayu rotsin. But we didn't want to. We didn't feel the need, we didn't feel the urgency to cry out again. Only through the orchestration of this whole situation of being surrounded and having a realization that we have nothing else to do but cry out to Hashem, then Hashem says, that's all I'm looking for. And this is such a fundamental idea when it comes to prayer. We don't pray to get rid of a bad situation or a challenging situation. We have this challenge in our lives in order to pray. Everything that's happening is in order to help us connect more with Hashem. Hashem says, Hashmini es kolech, I just want to hear from you. Don't be distant. Don't be far away. That's what the tefillah is. Hashem wants more than anything. It's not the prayer, it's the relationship. I think this idea is expressed beautifully in the, uh, the diary of Rav Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch. He speaks about a particular time. This is dated June 19, 1902. He said, I went for a stroll through the park and I was gazing at the sky and I was drowning in memories. And as I was walking, I was thinking about the sicha, the discourse that I heard from my father over Shabbos. What did my father speak about? He spoke about how Hashem responds to prayer. And he gave the mushal, just like a father when he hears his daughter saying, Tati, Tati, right? There's something that just compels you to, 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 to give a big hug and a kiss. My father said, that's how Hashem feels, so to speak, when we daven. And that's why Hashem wants our tefillah, because Hashem wants that relationship. And it's not because he's lonely, and it's not because he's insecure, and it's not because if, if, if my, my children are not calling me, then maybe uh, my life is worthless. Hashem doesn't need that to fulfill himself. But he wants the relationship because he wants it for us. This is our growth, this is our destiny. Says Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, as I was strolling and thinking about my father's sicha, I heard my three-year-old, Donna, my three-year-old daughter, Chana, say, Tati, Tati, where are you? And just then I understood the penetrating words of my father more than ever. That's what Hashem wants out of tefillah. It's the relationship. Remember seeing this article a few years ago but a young lady who had a very strained relationship with her mother. And as she got into her adolescent years and then her teenage years, uh, it did not get any better. 
but it got uh, a lot more difficult to the point where they basically didn't speak to each other. For, the, for some time they were living in the same home, but really in different worlds. She says, I ended up getting married and I embraced my husband's family and my mother-in-law was the one to actually be there with me to pick out the gown and to talk about all of the centerpieces and the menus and the trials and tribulations of making a wedding. As time went by and we had children, so it was more strained. We hardly ever saw my parents, and when we did, it was always very awkward. She says that I had a conversation one day with one of my good friends, who I respect greatly. And she also had a rough relationship with her mother, but she told me, as my mother was getting older, and I now have kids of my own, I couldn't bear living in this dynamic where there's no real connection. And she said, I reached out. And it was hard at first, and there was a transition period, but Baruch Hashem, we now have a family. So the author writes, she was turning 30 years old. She now has a few kids who are getting older that really had no clue who their grandma really was. And I realized that my other disregard for the respect and honor I was obligated to show my mother was creating a huge hole in the fabric of my spirituality. Even as I made excuses about why I wasn't required to respect my mother, after all, ours was a special circumstance, deep down I knew my obligation was just as binding as anyone else's. And the pain of this honest revelation drove me to give it one last try. So I picked up the phone. This time we did things differently. This time we went no holds bar. She told me her pain and suffering and I told of mine. I willed myself to listen to her instead of refusing to let her venture onto certain topics that I deemed taboo. I finally allowed her to tell me things about her personal life which suddenly put a whole new heartbreaking spin on why she did the things she did when I was growing up. My anguished cry of you were never there for me withered on my lips as I contemplated the woman who was unfolding before me. Now I had a deeper appreciation of the truth. When it comes to our relationship with Hashem, so you ask any, any religious Jew, do you speak to Hashem often? So of course I do. We speak three times a day. But we all know that it's so likely we could be davening without communicating with the Kaddish Baruch. All Hashem wants is that relationship. Hishmini kolech, I just want to hear your voice. Pick up the phone and reach out to me. Don't be distant. I want to conclude here with two strategies that we find in Chazal, how to, how to add fire to our tefillah. The first is getting back to the Pasuk we had at the beginning of Shmos. During this long time, the Yomos Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Mitzrayim, passed away. And the Klal Yisrael, they were suffering, they were groaning over the, uh, the workload. So they cried out, and Hashem heard our cry. Rashi explains. Right? He's bothered by the question, why were the Jewish people upset that the Pharaoh passed away? If anything, he was an evil dictator. Baruch Hashem, he's dead. We should be celebrating in the streets and handing out candy, right? So Rashi says, really, he didn't die. 
But in Nitztara, he got saras, he had leprosy. So what did he do? All of his wise men, his doctors, the professors, they told him that the blood of the Jewish boys, of the firstborn boys, is very medicinal. You talk about the idea of a blood libel, this is the real deal. They felt that bathing in the blood of Jewish children would somehow bring a refuah, that would be healing to, uh, to Paro's issues. So the Medrash goes on to say, they would shech, they would slaughter 150 in the morning, 150 in the evening, 300 children a day to bathe in their blood, and this would obviously be very helpful for his condition. That's what it's referring to. They were crying out because the children were getting murdered. The Re'em, who's one of the commentators on Rashi, he's bothered by a very basic question. If that's what's really going on over here, we're talking about the murder of innocent infants. So why in the world would this Pusik say that they were crying out to Hashem, what? Min ha'avoda because of the back-breaking labor. That's not why you're crying out to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Was it torture? Yeah, it was miserable. It was, it was totally inhumane. They were treating us like animals. But if this Pesach is talking about crying over children who are being killed, it's not even going to enter their mind the fact that they have to be doing this back-breaking labor. I saw from... Uh, one of the Shivas of Lakewood, he elaborated on this question. He said, if you go back 70 years and you picture, and, and we can't even picture, we, we speak to people, we speak to survivors, and, and we can't really have any clue what that torture was like. But you're in a concentration camp, and on one hand, they're, they're working the Jewish people in a way that's, that's so inhumane, that's real torture, but they're also killing children. I'm only thinking about the children, I'm not thinking about the labor. So why are they crying out, Minha Voda? What's going on over here? Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, based on earlier sources, but he says, they weren't crying out, Minha Voda, from the work itself, from having to carry heavy stones, or having to climb up on, onto big you know, ladders and, and build things. That's not what the Pusik means. Crying out Minha Avoda is not only were they crying over their children, which was obviously at the front and center of their mind, but they were crying over the loss of potential. Those children, right, the Bechor, they were the ones to be doing the Avoda, the service. They're losing their lives, but what's even bothering more than that is they're losing their potential for spirituality. That's Minha Avoda. Then Hashem hears that tefillah, right? The shava, the cry, that Hashem hears. So one suggestion we find, in order to really have a Kaddosh Baruch Hu embrace our tefillah, is that even when we are going through challenges in the physical realm of life, in the Gashmias arena, we're not making enough parnasa, the stress of paying our bills is overwhelming or we have issues with different relationships. There are so many things we struggle with. When I daven, if I could somehow daven for what I need, but channel that tefillah towards ruchnius, 
The reason why I want this to get better is not just because I care about my child, I care about my spouse, because I want a refuah. Of course I want a refuah. But why do I want these things to get better? Why do I want to be making a better living? It's not to buy the yacht. If I never buy the yacht, I'll be okay. I want to have Shabbos. I don't want to be stressed out thinking what I can buy and what I can't buy Friday afternoon. I want to be able to pay my kids' tuition without having to, to beg and plead my case before the dean of the school. Everything we ask for, if we could also channel it into the spiritual accomplishment that we'd like to come from it, that feel of that prayer has more of a fire, that has more of a power behind it. And that's why even halachically speaking, on Shabbos, we're not supposed to daven for our own needs. We don't do bakashos on Shabbos. The one exception is, and there's a whole discussion in the poskin, but we paskin, that I could daven for anything on Shabbos as long as I relate it to something I'm trying to achieve in the world of spirituality. That's strategy number one. Strategy number two is, uh, it's a famous Gemara that's often misunderstood and sometimes misapplied. And the Gemara Mabakama tells us, Kol al Whenever I'm davening for my friend, and I need the same thing that she does, but I'm davening for her, I will get answered first. Okay? So if I daven for you and I need the same thing, Hashem's going to answer my prayer even before He answers your need. So let's make up all these amazing different elaborate systems. I daven for you, you daven for me, and then we'll all get answered, right? Well, it's not that simple. What's the Havana? What's the understanding behind this Gemara? Why is that true? That when I daven for you, I'll get answered first. Says the Ksav Sofer. Ksav Sofer writes, we know that if I'm not Bitsar, if I'm not in, in pain or anguish myself, then it's easier for me to feel bad for you. Right? Baruch Hashem, things are going pretty smooth. You know, job is good, family is great, I have my friends, I play golf on Sundays, I got my learning, I got my davening, everything is good. Oh, Nebuch, I feel so bad for him, he's having such a rough time. It might be hard to have the empathy, but okay, I can focus more on you. When I'm davening, I'm going to have you in my brach of Baruch Aleinu, right? Allow him to make a better living. Give, give, give her a shidduch. She's been davening, she's been, she's been dating for so long. Give him a refuah. But writes the Ksav Sofer of Alhanimza Batsara. But if I myself am in a very, very tight situation and I'm suffering and I'm in pain, and I'm in need of the compassion of Hashem, but somehow I'm able to push aside my own sar and I'm going to daven for you because I really care about you. Then I'm elevating myself and I'm bringing my prayer to a whole different madrega, a whole different level. That prayer will be answered quickly. So to make this into a shtick, well, I, you know, it's, it's more of a selfish pursuit. I want to get my prayers answered, so I'll daven for you, you daven for me. That's not the system. But the Ksav Sofer is telling us, if I could really sincerely daven for you, that tefillah is extremely powerful. I remember seeing a, a few years ago at a High Lifeline dinner, they showed a video 
and it, it focused on, on two children, Loa Lenu, who passed away. There was one boy, remember his father speaking so eloquently with such, such clarity and such a hargasha. Uh, his name was Yosef Sholom. He was named after Rebel Yoshev, right? One of the, the Gedoli Hador. And you see pictures of him when he's one and two, sweet, gorgeous little boy with long, flowing, blonde hair. And then Nebuch, you see pictures of him when he's three and four, without hair, going through chemo. And the father says in the video, he says, my son, we had his sitter in the room, obviously we were davening, and he would daven also. And it has footage, a little boy, a little sitter on the, on the chair, you know, shuckling back and forth. There was a girl two rooms over, her name was Devora, a few years older, and she would come and visit once in a while. She had a very hard time getting out of bed. Besides the illness she was fighting, she was also very depressed. But once in a while she would come and she would get to the room and little Yosef Sholem would, would be machazik her, little three-year-old boy giving her encouragement. And then he's davening one day and they ask him, what are you davening for? And he said, I'm davening that Devorah should have a refuah shalema. That's a, that's a three-year-old boy. That's a Yiddish neshama. I'm davening that Devorah should have a refuah shalema. If we daven for others without the agenda of what I'm going to get from it, that feel is extremely powerful. Sokuva Hashem Shemeya, even if I'm feeling down on myself, I'm not a faker. To the contrary, this is the call of the hour. I'm not excelling in other areas of my Judaism. Let me at least daven because Hashem wants to hear me. And we can never let that, that facade, that tefillah doesn't really work, that can't stop us from pouring out our lave and nefesh. Tefillah does work. Sometimes we might not even think it's through the prayer. It's the yeshiva bacha that was doing the shtick. To, to play a, you know, a game with this 12-year-old boy. That wasn't a game. That was a Kaddosh Baruch Hu's way of answering his tefillah. If it's a, the, the, the young man davening for his wife to have the appointment with Dr. Rosenblatt, a Kaddosh Baruch Hu answers tefillahs. We have to try to look into our life and see all of the things that we have. These are answered tefillahs. That gives me more of the, the conviction, more of that confidence to move forward. More than anything, a Kaddosh Baruch Hu wants to hear from us. Hashmini as koleich. Why? Ki koleich orev. Hashem cherishes the prayer because He cherishes the relationship. And last but not least, the two strategies, and there's so much more to get into in the world of prayer, but at least two ideas for now, is that when we can channel the tefillah towards Ruchnius, I want to grow. I, I, I want to become a better person. HaKadosh Baruch Hu helped me manage my anger. Help me control my jealousy. Help me get to Shachris on time. Whatever it is, we daven for Ruchnias, and even when we're davening for all the regular things in life to channel it towards Ruchnias, that brings more power to it. And last but not least, when we daven for others, we think of little Yosef Sholom to emulate his example. That tefillah is le'elu le'ela, because I can somehow push away my own struggles and think about you. We should be zocha to daven well and have our tefillahs answered. Thank you.